Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. Today, we'll be discussing poetry and its ability to touch the soul and remind us of what it is to be fully alive, to be surrounded by what is sacred. I am just thrilled to have Mark Nepo as my guest today to discuss his new book of poetry, which is called The Half-Life of Angels. Mark Nepo has moved and inspired readers and seekers all over the world with his number one New York Times bestseller, The Book of Awakening. He has published 25 books and recorded 15 audio projects. In 2015, he was given a Life Achievement Award by Age Nation. In 2016, he was named by Watkins Mind Body Spirit as one of Oprah, I'm sorry, as one of the most of 100 most spiritually influential living people. And he was also chosen as one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, a group of inspired leaders using their gifts and voices to elevate humanity. In 2017, Mark became a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health magazine. Again, his most recent book is Half-Life of Angels, and in September, coming very soon, his next nonfiction book called Falling Down, Getting Up, Discovering Your Inner Resilience and Strength, will be published. You can find out more about Mark Nepo, his many books, and other programs at his website, marknepo.com. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. Mark Nepo, I'm really delighted you could join me today on the podcast. Oh, it's great to be back with you. I, I so enjoy our journeys. <laughs> <clears throat> so before we begin our dialogue about poetry and its doorway to the sacred, let's begin with a moment of being right here, right now. A yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness. Oh. Let's begin by bringing our attention to our body, <clears throat> just feeling our body in space, whatever we're doing, if we're sitting or standing, walking or driving, just feeling our body. Where are our feet? How much of our weight is supported if we're sitting in the chair? Just noticing and then bringing our attention to the breath and taking a fully conscious breath on the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the cool temperature of the air as it passes through the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how now that air has been warmed as it passes through the body. Just staying with the breath, just noticing Here's something to contemplate from Yogacharya O'Brien's book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Whatever sorrow there is, whatever sickness there is, whatever hatred there is, whatever unrest there is, spirit is stronger 
the power of truth rises up to meet every challenge. It is human nature to accept certain parts of our life and to reject others, to want only happiness and to reject sorrow. But this may cause us to miss the blessings that hide behind distressing disguises. We need not fear them. Nothing can ever diminish the blessed nature of our being. Nothing. Nothing can ever diminish the blessed nature of our being. Nothing. Oh. Once again, Mark Depo, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. For listeners, there are many prior episodes of the Yoga Hour with Mark Nepo that you can find in our archive wherever you listen to uh, your podcasts. I'm so delighted, Mark, to have you come back on the show and to be able to discuss sacred poetry with you, your new book of poetry, The Half-Life of Angels. <clears throat> in the introduction, you wrote a beautiful description of the process of compiling this book, and you write... Reading through 50 years of poems has been like stepping through holy sites and ruins in order to map the learnings of all my former selves. This exploration has resurrected old pains and confusions, as well as a sky of mythic images that have come and gone through the center of my heart. I was just so touched by, by that writing. I, I just love, even when you just write prose. You're so, you're so poetic. I really love it about um, <clears throat> reading through 50 years of poems has been like stepping through holy sites and ruins. Just the image that I got from that was so, so great. Um, and I wanted to ask you, now that you've, you know, you've had this process, was there anything that surprised you as you reviewed, as you said, several decades of poetry that you had written? It was. And so let me, let me just start for, for folks who are with us. And, and just for me, poetry, as we discuss this, poetry isn't the arrangement of words on a page. It, it's not stanzas. It's not rhyme and meter. For me, it is the unexpected utterance of the soul. And that's why, you know, really, honestly, all my work is poetry. Since oh. um, that in what my publishers call nonfiction books <laughs> are just larger canvas. That's all. You know, it's but it all starts with that same the heart's perception, the heart's perception. So, you know, I think one of the big things that was so um, uh, surprising or not surprising, but just you know, confirming actually was the journey of a soul over time. Yeah. Anything I want to bear witness to that, um, as my soul is just one example, and of course. The paradox that when we live our own lives fully, deeply, honestly, we touch into the common journey that we all share. And um, and so I think that I realized when I look back at when I was younger, um, which is very you know natural. I w I think I was as true to who I was as I could be, and then I grew. And then I needed to be true to that. And then I grew. And so like rings to a tree, it wasn't that who I was younger was false, just limited. And now, as through the years, more whole, you know, 
Muhammad Ali had a great quote. He said, if you're the same person at 50 as you are at 20, you've wasted 30 years. <laughs> yeah. The other kind of things that were so, so interesting was, I think early on, and this is, I think, very normal, you know, when I would see something or be drawn to learn something or dive down deep, well, the poems would always be what I would find and try to bring them up to the surface to share. Mm. Somewhere along the way, and I can't exactly pinpoint where, I live in the deep. Mm. Yeah, so the poems shifted to a, a place of, oh, come, come and visit me, mm. with me. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with either, mm -hmm. but it's a shift of, and I think another thing that's all, that, that's just, and these are not just poet notations of a poet's life, because I think that I've discovered that the creative life is very much the introspective life. Mm -hmm. So to write it down, but this journey is available to everyone. And so I think another thing that was that, that the further I've gone in the depth of life, the more my heart feel more often feels more than one thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And in the Western world, that is an occasion for alarm or confusion and, oh, we've got to choose or we've got to sort or we've got to prioritize. Well, actually, all sacred poetry, all the sacred traditions offer us the mystical responses. No, no, no. Absorb and integrate. Mm -hmm. The fact that the heart can be a full teacher when we let more than one thing enter our heart at the same time. Mm -hmm. How do we be with that and honor that and try to express that and hold it long enough so that, ah, the, the heart says, oh, now, now we can walk together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. Well, I have to say, I love the title of the book, The Half-Life of Angels, and maybe that's both my poetic side and also my scientific side that had a lot of, as a physician, of course, I had a lot of science classes. And so this idea of a half-life really means something to me, you know, a half-life of a drug. It's a, you know, it's a, something that I'm quite familiar with. So would you say a little bit more about where the title came from, The Half-Life of Angels? Yeah, yeah, it's a very intuitive title, and and I and and it came as I was working on the book, and and I knew it was right. I just knew it, and of course, then the book confirmed it. For me, the half life, and I know the scientific uh, definition or inquiry talks about the, you know decaying, and, and that's not. If there's a decay, you'll see where I get to that. But this, to me. The half-life of angels is is that that spark, that synapse of spirit and being and and life force that brings everything alive. You know, like yeah, I think of Michelangelo's on the Sistine Chapel that yes. almost touched Adam's hand, finger. You know, that little gap, that arc, that's the half-life of angels. The spark. Between and me the, between us when we're out in nature or a moment opens or love touches us and if anything decays when that spark happens it's what's in the way mm. it's us it's 
it's the veils they part or they start to decay and and we see through and things become transparent you know i watch that in in chinese uh there's really no word for there's no translatable word for the english word sin yeah. that 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 the chinese ideogram can uh can can translate that is opaque mm. which is helpful yeah. because it's not about judgment it's not about good and evil it's about that uh, we're we're less able to be here if we're opaque mm-hmm. in, in way and then when we're transparent when so when that decays that spark that's the half-life of it and so every poem in this book which as you know covers there's three books in one volume and they cover um in my 70s so they're they're from the last 20 years from my 50s and 60s they all uh explore and affirm that spark mm-hmm. oh such a great description i i totally love it and when you're talking about half-life i hadn't thought about it in terms of decay and I think because I, you know, that's the poetic side, you know, if, if an angel's life is infinite, you know, well, that's half of infinity or, you know, half-life of infinity is, in, is infinity itself, right? And so there isn't, <laughs> there isn't decay. <laughs> so that's how I thought about it. <clears throat> well, before we go any farther, I did want to go ahead and get into the poems. And there are so many beautiful poems in the book. Would you read The Art of Netting for our listeners, which is on uh, page 12? Sure, yeah, thank you. The art of netting. This is how it works. I almost die. You're at my side. It's hard on you. And so your friend is at your side. Next month or year, it's you who falls into the crater. Then I'm there for you, and old friend is there for me. This is how a net distributes the weight, how the net of hearts distributes the suffering. Even our dog climbing in my wife's lap when she cries is part of the tent. Well, I was very touched by this, and I, I think part of it was the um, the imagery of the net was very meaningful to me. Um, it reminded me of Indra's net, uh, which is a concept that is in both Hinduism and also, I think, in Buddhism. Um, there's this idea of this net that uh, it covers the earth and every place that the fibers cross, there's a jewel which represents each one of us. Um, and so if we're not kind of being authentic, then is that jewel really fully sparkling, you know, in that net? And then this idea that you brought in of this net of hearts, you know, that that distributes the suffering. Anyway, I just was very touched by it. I thought it was really beautiful. I love, and I love Indra's net and let, let's uh, <clears throat> excuse me open that up uh, uh, even more because the the wonderful metaphor of Indra's net is that you know supposedly in the myth of Indra's net that if any of those jewels if you looked into any one jewel you would see all the other jewels and the, the entire net of existence reflected and it's such an image for you know Biologically, we talk about DNA and we talk about that's in all of life is encoded. Well, you know, in, in the deep, in a spiritual sense, in a clear heart, all of life is right there. And we can see all of humanity and all of existence when we look into each other's heart 
openly and clearly. And and what's interesting is that when we're not clear to go back to opaque and being covered, um, well, then we're just a knot. But the knot is still holding the net of existence together. We're just we've just lost our awareness of it. There's also a wonderful there's a practice in the Sufi tradition known as polishing the heart until it becomes a mirror. The journey of our being struggling to be real and to stay real and to help each other. You know, this is this poem really came to me because and I, and I love the well, this is a good example that the poems for me, I don't know where they're going. Mm. I don't, that would be nice to end with that image of the of our dog on my wife's lap. No, no, you know, when I follow something true, whether it's confusing or clear or painful or joyous, I'm rewarded with an insight or an image or a story, and then it becomes my teacher. Mm-hmm. So this poem, which how it started was I have a dear old friend who's actually visiting. I'm going to pick him up at the airport later today, my wife and I. He's coming into town, Paul. Um, you know, over 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago, he helped save my life when I was in cancer. And, and we've been very close. And, and a year and a half ago, he lost his wife to a massive heart attack. And of course, I'm there for him. And it's brought us even closer. And, and I have... I have other friends here where I live, and so as I have been supporting him, my other friends know of him, but they haven't met him yet, and they were supporting me, and that led me to this idea of the net. And the reward was this concept of the art of netting is how how compassion distributes the weight. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's a wonderful symbol, Indra's net and, and the poem of just the connectedness, you know, the, the one, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> you write um, in the introduction, um, you, as you've already talked about, you these are poems that you've written over many decades. And you write, so rather than trying to perfect each expression, I have tried to stay true to the developmental voice of each poem. <clears throat> honoring the inner evolution of one spirit in one body in its time on earth for the arc of a person inhabiting their full humanness in relation to others and the living universe is the dynamic poem of a lifetime which i just thought was just so you know beautiful if we think of our lives as a poem and as you wrote it as i read that uh, the description of the process of writing the book, you sort of made it sound like the book itself, the whole book was a poem in a way. <laughs> and I feel that, and I feel again, devoted to, to bearing witness to what is real and authentic and not trying to uh, perfect, the, you know, like perfect things, uh, let them be the best they can be, but what they are. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to revise earlier poems because and it have appear like I I always see what I see now or know what I know now. No, I didn't. I, I it was a it was an it was an evolution. And and two things, two stories come up that really I thought very poignant evidence of this 
this journey. Um, well, so what I would say too is that uh, skill-wise, one of the challenges was how did how could I bring the skill I have now to update perception of the poem, but to have that voice be true to what it was then, and not and no more. It's a challenge, a wonderful challenge. Um, but the stories I want to tell, you know, one one is, as you know, of course, Ram Das was so I, I was so respected him that, you know, after he had his stroke, he didn't stop teaching. He didn't stop speaking in public, even though you wouldn't call it speaking at that time. But he basically, you know, uh, would come out, uh, be wheeled out on stage and basically with long, hard effort, say, I've always reported on what it is to be a spirit in a body, so this is what it is now. Entertainment. This isn't a lecture. So we could we could be together that before we can still be together now. And I thought that was such a model, such such tenderness and vulnerability. And the other story about the poem of our life is is a story about uh, Nietzsche, the philosopher. Now, you know, I, I, I read Nietzsche, of course, in college, and I didn't really, I didn't, I wasn't really drawn to his willful, dominating, brilliant as it was. But then I stumbled later on into a very unlikely, beautiful expression that said, wow, this doesn't seem like Nietzsche. Uh, and it was this quote, he said, I want to see what is necessary as beautiful. Mm. So I those who makes things beautiful. I actually think that could be an anthem of our time. And and then I thought, wow, that doesn't sound like him. And then I thought, I don't really know anything about him. And I started looking into the story of his life. And then all of a sudden I discovered, so he lived to be 54, but at 44 he had this profound experience that changed him. Um, and the quote I cited was written after this in the last 10 years, where his work completely changed from early work. So what happened, he was living in Turin, Italy, in a second floor apartment, overlooking a piazza. And one day he heard, he heard someone whipping a horse. He leaned out the window and said, stop, stop that. And of course, the person looked up and said, who are you? This is my horse. I'll do what I want. Well, for some reason, it cracked his heart. And down into the piazza. And he threw his arms around the neck of the horse. And between the whip and the whip. And he, he was never the same. The people who believe in his early work say, oh, he had a breakdown. Mm. <clears throat> but Baba, who was the, the contemporary Hindu mystic, he wrote, he said, no, 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 no. Forget everything that came before. That was his transformation. Everything before that was an apprenticeship. Mm. And for me, what was so touching, just like Ram Dass, is, is to me, for all the brilliance of mind, that moment, where he threw his arms around the neck of the horse was the poem of his life. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. 
So, you know, when I look at my life, you know, when I was young, I so wanted to, you know, with good intention, I hope maybe, maybe if I worked hard enough, I could write one or two maybe great poems that would add to literature. And then in my early 30s, I, you know, I, I fell ill with cancer. Well, forget writing great poems. All of us, I needed to discover true poems that would help me get to tomorrow. And now, now I just want to be the poem. <clears throat> love it. And speaking of that, I'd love to hear another poem. One of the fun things for me of uh, of preparing for this show is that I got to choose, you know, which poems to read. And there were so many. But anyway, I'd love to hear a history of clouds. Yeah, all oh, thank you. Yes, a history of clouds. And, and I, re I refer to an old samurai, and I will just say that the, the, what I refer to is a, haik, a haiku by a samurai by the name of Masahide, who in the 1600s, after a life of being a warrior, put his sword away and wanted to apprentice and learn poetry from Basho. Love to interview that guy, huh? Wow, what happened? Well, this is of clouds. The old samurai turned poet said that once his barn burned to the ground, he could see the moon more completely. As those around me burn, I too can see all the way to the beginning. It makes this life a barn full of holes that give way to the sky. One day, one of us will crumble like a statue no longer able to hold its pose. Though this feels tragic, it is, in the end, a revelation. Ah, so beautiful. And then as I, you know, was thinking about this, just this idea of, you know, here's this barn that has burned to the ground, but now he can see the moon more completely. Just so, so beautiful. And as you then liken it to, to us, and as those around me burn, I too can see all the way to the beginning. It's just is really really beautiful. Thank thank you. And it, I I think it's a pro, I, I the, what Masahide opens up is a profound paradox about about suffering, and it is that you know when the barn burns down, that's real. We don't skip over that. That's what loss and grief. Uh, no one escapes that journey. We have to hold each other up to it. And there's lessons to be learned through that. You know, we, uh, and, and once the barn burns down, oh my God, I can see that I didn't know there was this vastness. And likewise, when we experience loss or even through aging, as we start to crumble like old statues that can't hold their pose, that's a loss. We have to accept that, help each other, and we see more and more of eternity, mm. the endless beginning, and the life that's always there, that infinity that you mentioned about, the infinity, that half-life of infinity is infinity. <laughs> <clears throat> is both, in, in the moment it is, uh, of course, there's a tragic um, passage to move through, but in the end, it's a revelation. 
Mm-hmm. And I think one of the challenges of aging uh, is how do we open, open, stay, like I said earlier, that's a good example, keeping our heart open to both. Mm-hmm. both. Not to be ground down in the tragic passage and not to skip over it and say, oh, well, forget that. Isn't it wonderful? All this spaciousness. No, no, no. We, we can't get to the one unless we move through the first. Mm-hmm. Which was on my mind when I was choosing the reading that I did at the beginning. You know, whatever sorrow there is, whatever sickness there is, and all of that, you know, spirit is stronger. That's really the, you know, that's what you're conveying, you know, in these, in these poems. There's a, there's a larger um, unity you know, behind that you continually point to. And with that, I wanted to remind listeners that today on the Yoga Hour, my guest is author, poet, and spiritual teacher, Mark Nepo. His book of poems that we are discussing today is called The Half-Life of Angels, Three Books of Poems. You can find out more about Mark Nepo, his many books and programs at his website, marknepo.com. This link will be on our webpage at theyogahour.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us via our website, again, theyogahour.com, or you can also sign up for our mailing list. Well, here we are, Mark. I can't believe how quickly this time is going. I thought I would uh, take this moment to share a poem uh, from Yogacharya O'Brien from her book, The Moon Reminded Me. This is a a favorite poem of mine, and it begins by addressing um, Hari. Hari, which means God or Supreme Consciousness. And it's that aspect of Supreme Consciousness of God as the remover and signifies the Lord as the remover of ignorance and the remover of one's errors. So this poem is called Rose and Azure Letters. Hari, those rose letters penned on azure skies, you slipped daily at dawn under the door of my mind, called me from my home. Why hide from me now? Their fragrance still speaks. When night jasmine fills the air, I know not even the darkness escapes your call to bloom. Mm, lovely. Well, I just love the imagery in the poem, the form of Hari, the remover of ignorance, that there's these letters that are being written in the dawn sky that are being slipped under the door of our mind. And then, you know, as we're so called to this this oneness beyond ourselves, there's this thing of, okay, well, why are you hiding now? <laughs> now I want to turn toward you. Please come, please come. There's that longing, right? But then also this night jasmine, you know, the, the, the scent of night jasmine filling the air, not even the darkness escapes your call to bloom. So there's something so whole about this poem to me, which, which is what I love about it. Well, and, that, and, and it opens up several things. I mean, the, the fact that darkness is often, um, we're the ones that, that personalize it. And I don't mean in terms of our, our individual lives, but we personalize it in terms of it's it's from our perspective. Often we call dark is just something we can't yet see. Right. Right. Call it dark. 
because it's beyond our vision at this point. And this is where Carl Jung said that, you know, dark uh, consciousness isn't removing darkness. It's making darkness visible. It's making dark. And the other thing that I really love that it, that is kind of a in concert with Hari is Ganesh. I, I you know so love that Ganesh is the provider and remover of obstacles. Mm. That obstacles are teachers, and until we understand what we are to learn, what's in the way is the way. <laughs> Yes, indeed. So in in, um, your comments at the beginning of the third book of poems, um, which under these comments is called Shaped by the Oneness, you write, life can be harsh and beautiful by turns. Often it seems unfair. Why can't the beautiful openings last longer? Over the years, I've learned that this movement from fullness to bareness and back is the inhalation and exhalation of the universe. The rhythm is what keeps us alive. It keeps us growing. Once we open our heart, the thousand feelings come at us nonstop, the endless waves of a mysterious unity. How they wash over and through us transforms us. And again, it was my pleasure to be able to, you know, pull this commentary out of the things that you write, which are also beautiful. But I love this idea of this movement of the universe between fullness and bareness and back is the inhalation and exhalation of the universe. Just such a wonderful way of looking at those ups and down our joys and sorrows as those inhalations and exhalations of the universe. Would you did you want to comment further about that? That, you know this this rhythm is be, is one of my teachers in the last few years i'm exploring more and more and being a student of it and in fact my next book falling down and getting up is an, is a deeper exploration of that you know no one likes to fall down but when we back up from that falling down and getting up actually uh becomes a, a dance it's an inevitable dance, just as we migrate, uh, you know, birds have migration. And I've been thinking, you know, well, humans, we migrate between joy and sorrow. You know, I, I have a poem in, in, the, in the book, uh, I think early on, but we don't have to go to it exactly right now. But the image in it, the lesson in it was that it, it talks about how a horse, as it runs, it touches down, it lifts up. It touches down, it lifts up. And that, that's what a horse has to do. It can't just not touch down. And it can't, you know, um, and, and we move like that horse between rising and landing or rising and landing and falling and getting up and, and this unity, this joy and sorrow. And, and, and I think one of the re purposes of love is to help us uh, move through this rhythm. You know, another, I, I think of uh, another aspect of this or a way to approach it is I think about how the universe, everything in the universe, small and large, expands and contracts. 
And for us, when it contracts, oh, we know that is agitation. We know that is worry. When it expands, we know it is peace. It's not always self-induced. It's part of being a spirit in a body in time and earth. And, uh, and so how do we navigate that? You know, I mean, another thing that, that's important to me as I get older is I'm, you know, I, I, I feel that if, if, a per, if you believe there's anything larger than yourself, you're a mystic. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And so as soon as we try to name what's larger than us, everybody goes to their corners. No, it's, it's all, it's Jesus, it's Buddha. No, it's this, it's Moses, it's nature, it's physics, it's everything, it's nothing. And I don't really care what we call it. What I want to share is how do you navigate, how do you live as a, as a part, as a holy part in a holy whole? What are the, what is, what are the dynamics of that? What are the ups and downs? What are the physics of it? How do we, because that helps us live. So, you know, even an atheist uh, believes in something larger than themselves. They call it nothing. So I call it everything. We can talk. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, as you were speaking, it was reminding me of that, you know, line from the, um, it's from the Vedas. I don't know which one, but it's, uh, it's the one truth known by many names. You know, yeah. so we're all pointing to the one truth with a capital T, that one unchanging truth, absolute. Uh, not relative truth, but absolute truth. But calling it, it's called variously. I've also seen it translated as Sanskrit. It's called variously. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I, going on in this introduction to the third book, you write, at first, we see and comprehend oneness. It's a breathtaking idea. I was excited and exhilarated as a young poet to have glimpses of oneness, to understand that everything goes together, to understand that all life is somehow connected, even though we can't see how. Yet as I've grown and suffered and loved and lost, I've come to feel the oneness of all life. Which again, I, I, I just, Felt, feel so fortunate that I was the one who got to choose these things to talk about with you. But, and, and of course, I love this because you're talking about yoga. You know, to me, yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity. And for listeners, this is one reason we love to have Mark Nepo as a guest, because both his poetry and his prose often refers to this place of oneness where we all connect. Did you want to say anything more about what I was just reading, this oneness and how your view of it has transformed and how you saw this? You must have gotten a chance to see this as you were reviewing all of these poems, you know, for this book. The challenge is, is that, and again, we, because we have this amazing thing, our mind, one of the liabilities is we can transcend out of here. We can bypass the embodiment. We can conceptualize. Well, that that gives us a silhouette of life. It doesn't give us an, an experience of life. And so we're, we're all asked in our own way uh, to have the courage and the challenge to live what's before us, to em, embody it. And, um, and so for me, that's where I have really felt like this mystery that when I can 
be who I am fully. And if I feel love to the depths of my being, I trip into the well of all love. I hold you in your pain. I trip into the well of all pain. And strangely, you know, that, you know, I had a, a moment with my father when he was dying where I was feeding him applesauce. Very beautiful all moment, so many feelings at once. And I was so devoted in that moment, you know, to, I mean, that was one of the poems of my life, like Nietzsche putting his arms around the horse. Everything was in that moment of just giving him that. And all of a sudden, because I gave myself over completely to that, to what was, what I was given, um, I tripped into the moment of every adult child who ever fed a dying parent. Since then, I've been trying to understand, I think resilience is that oneness, not my self-reliance. But when I can live what's before me as completely, as authentically as possible, I trip in to that deep company. And I think, I'm starting to think that's reason. Well, I think it's time for another poem. <laughs> the one I chose was the tone in the center of the bell, which yeah. I was very, I was very struck by that image of this, of this tone, even when you can't hear it. So anyway, before I comment more, why don't you share the poem? Third book yeah, in, in this volume, the tone in the center of the bell. No matter where you look, near, far, up, down, out or in, there is a bareness of being that lives in the center of every ounce of life, the way air waits inside every bubble as it rises from the deep, the way a small pocket of worth waits inside every attempt to love, the way wonder waits in the center of our heart for something to wake it. The tone keeps ringing in the center of the bell, long after our ears stop hearing it. Whether we know this or not, this is how life moves through the living, how light makes a branch grow toward it, how a stream draws a horse to drink from it, how you draw me to ask what it is to be you. Well, there's just something about that imagery of your, and as I was writing that, well, it's, it's not really imagery, it's really like auditory memory, right? You know, that we, that this poem evokes about the tone in the center of the bell. I mean, we've all probably listened to a bell, listened to the resonance as it continues to ring and ring and ring. And, and you kind of wonder, well, if you were waiting for that ringing to stop, did it stop? You know, there's that moment at the end, it's like, oh, no, it's still there a little bit. <laughs> So that idea that it, you know, that it can, it can go on. Way of talking about, you know, like darkness isn't dark, it's not yet visible, and, and the bell doesn't stop ringing because you don't hear it. This is why you've heard that philosophical, uh, you know, rhetorical, self-rhetorical question, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it exist? Of course, what a narcissistic question. Of course exists my god it existed before we were here it'll exist long after we're here what <laughs>
Yeah. Anyway, there, and then the other, you know, the other imagery in the poem, this bareness of being that lives in the center of every ounce of life, the way air waits inside every bubble as it rises from the deep. Ah, just, just so beautiful, such a beautiful, you know, illustration of, of just what the poem is talking about, the tone in the center of the bell, just really lovely. You know, and, and, and I think that we still can relate to what's beyond our senses. And this is one of the other gifts of spirit, if we keep our heart open. Um, how do we, re and I think it's something we suffer in the modern world, is we've lost our ability to relate to the unknown. I recently ran across a wonderful word in a friend sent me, a Japanese word, sanduko, and what it means it means the stacks of books you haven't yet read. Because <laughs> it, 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 you know, in the West, we go, oh, my God, anxiety. I, how, I'll never, how do I have time? I'm never going to read all these books. But that's not what the word has come to mean in Japanese. In Japanese, it means that what we don't know is as important as what we do know. And in the same way that you walk into a forest and stand among the trees and feel peace, having all those unread voices around you is a, is a wilderness of voices. This too offers us peace. And how do we let that in? Fantastic question. <laughs> How do, we, how do we let that in? That's great. I thought I would share an, another poem. Most listeners to this program probably already know that Yogacharya O'Brien, who's the founder of the Yoga Hour, that she is a poet, as I have shared her poetry, as I did earlier, but I've also shared it in several other programs. People may not be aware that Paramahansa Yogananda was also a poet. And I recently had an opportunity to hear a poem of his that I was very struck by. So I wanted to, to share that, which is uh, the title of the poem is God, God, God. And this is from Paramahansa Yogananda's book, Whispers from Eternity. Um, for those who are not familiar with Yogananda's writing, Yogananda was extremely devotional. Um, just so much devotion in his poem. And I love how in this poem, God really permeates all of his waking activities. So here's God, God, God. From the depths of slumber, as I ascend the spiral stairways of wakefulness, I will whisper, God, God, God. Thou art the food and when I break my fast of nightly separation from thee, I will taste thee and mentally say, God, God, God. No matter where I go, the spotlight of my mind will ever keep turning on thee. And in the battle din of activity, my silent war cry will be, God, God, God. When the boisterous storms of trials shriek, and when worries howl at me, I will drown their clamor, loudly chanting, God, God, God. When my mind weaves dreams with threads of memories, then on that magic cloth I will, will I emboss, God, God, God. 
Every night, in time of deepest sleep, my peace dreams and calls joy, joy, joy. And my joy comes singing evermore, God, God, God. In waking, eating, working, dreaming, sleeping, serving, meditating, chanting, divinely loving, my soul will constantly hum, unheard by any, God, God, God. Mm, thank you. Yes, it's really, um, there was something about it that I was just very touched by, and thanks for um, your patience and letting me, <laughs> letting me share it, because uh, it's this oneness that, you know, I think we've pointed to in a lot of different ways, but for him, it just permeates every activity. And that's just such a beautiful thing to think about, just that, that presence of, of supreme consciousness. I know for some, God is a, is a, is a word that they trip over, uh, perhaps from, you know, from exposure to religion, you know, early in their life. But, you know, any way we think about whatever it is that's bigger than us, as you and I've already said. But yeah, I think that, you know, I invite people who, who struggle with that name, it just put your own synonym in there. It doesn't matter what you call what is larger than you and what is in, in everything. And, and, and I think that it's, it's you know, I, I think of spirit, you know, uh, just as we experience gravity outwardly that pulls us down and grounds us, I think, I think spirit emanates out into out um, everywhere and I think this poem speaks to that that you just read and uh, and it is and it's everywhere so the emanation of spirit you know we spend so much time in the surface world going from here to there when the real journey of life is from into out mm. into out and, and one of the great teachers are flowers just think of this a flower, a seed, whether it's planted or it's a wild seed, it starts its journey by yearning for a force it has no knowledge of. It's underground and it is already growing toward light. Eventually it breaks ground and now it grows in both directions, in and out, roots and shoots. And when it's strong enough, it starts to blossom. And what does the flower do when it blossoms? It literally reveals its inner beauty by turning itself inside out. And it does this by going nowhere. This is a great metaphor for the journey of transformation, for being a spirit in a body and time on earth. That's so beautiful. I had thought of a flower blossoming as turning itself inside out, but that's true. That's absolutely true. I just, uh, it's the time of year where there are some peonies around still. And to watch a peony go from a tight bud, which is probably smaller than my fist, to go to something that is like a, almost like a bowling ball, it seems to me. I mean, it gets so big. It's amazing. With that, Mark, I'd love to hear another poem, and I thought I'd give you a chance to read one of your choosing. So what would you like to share with us? Yeah, thank you. Well, I'd love to share this poem, which is also a poem that I couldn't have written at an, at an earlier time in my life. Um, uh, it just required the years 
to see in this way. This is called praying I will find. Praying I will find. I used to have so many plans, good plans, grand plans. In the beginning, I would be annoyed by the calamities I'd meet along the way that would keep me from my plans. I used to pride myself on how I would get back on track so quickly. But the more I loved and the more I suffered, the more my plans were interrupted by those in need. Eventually, the call of life unexpected and unrehearsed made Swiss cheese of my plans. Now, like an emperor undressed by time, I wander the days naked of plans, praying that I will find love to give and suffering to heal before the sun goes down. Just gorgeous. Praying that I will find love to give and suffering to heal before the sun goes down. Just, just beautiful. Thank you. Well, unbelievably, we've come to the close of the program and we always have a last few last few moments for you to share any words of encouragement or inspiration with our listeners. Well, I think the thing that I want to share most, which I, I you know, all of my teaching when I get, I'm blessed to gather with people is to introduce people, open a heart space and introduce people to their own wisdom and their own gifts. And I just want to support and encourage anyone who's listening that your heart is your strongest muscle and your deepest ally. Uh, mysteriously, it will never let you down. And I'm just to uh, encourage people to develop an intimacy with your own heart, to stay in conversation with it. Again, beautiful, beautiful way of putting it, develop an intimacy with your own heart. Gorgeous. For listeners, you've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the show. My guest today has been poet and author Mark Nepo, and we have been discussing his new book, The Half-Life of Angels, Three Books of Poems. Mark's website is marknepo.com, and it's Mark and then N-E-P-O, just like it sounds like, marknepo.com, where you can find out more about Mark and his many books and programs. This link will also be on our webpage at theyogahour.com. Thank you so much, Mark Nepo, for joining me today on the show. Oh, a joy. Thank you. We hope listeners will join us for the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment. CSE offers daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m., that's Pacific time, in the afternoon at 4, and on Monday evenings at 7.30. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also a Sunday satsang. Satsang is a Sanskrit word that means a gathering of truth seekers. That occurs at 10 a.m. Pacific every Sunday. Listeners may also enjoy another podcast, Kriya Yoga Today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, which you can find at the CSE website at csecenter.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be joined by Dr. Paul Mills to discuss his recent book, Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. His book was recently awarded the Gold Nautilus Award for Best Book in the category of Science and Cosmology. 
The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember that you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.